0: So you might have read a couple different places in your bulletin that we might be talking about slavery and we're not. So we're looking at Romans chapter 8. And I, I've got two different titles for the sermon, neither of which is the actual title to the question we are looking to answer, which is how can God allow suffering and evil? So you won't see that in the bulletin. That's the question that we are looking at this morning together. How can God... Allow suffering and evil. And I chose instead to title of the sermon, Grief Will Be Swallowed by Glory, Putting Pain in Perspective. So that's what I hope to do this morning. Uh, I did want to make one brief comment before we dig into this. And I <clears throat> was uh, reminded to do this in a, a book that I read, just a wise piece of counsel. And so we're going to be looking at answering this question from God's Word. But this wise piece of counsel reminded us. Um, sometimes, so uh, Proverbs 25 verse 11 says, "A word spoken at the right time is like golden apples in a silver setting." Um, MJ and I went through a, a difficult time. About three years, MJ really wanted to have kids, and of course, I did too. But MJ really wanted to have kids, and we weren't have we, we weren't. Able to at that point. It took about three years. And for MJ, that was really difficult. And I remember just, in God's grace, <clears throat> many times, just kind of throw my hands up and being... You know, I would try to encourage MJ with words from the Lord. But um, often, the best thing to do is just to sit together. And uh, Romans twelve fifteen says, weep with those who weep. Sometimes coming alongside a sufferer is, and just sharing their burden, weeping with those who are going through trial, (coughs) is uh, the best thing we can do. And that word needs to be spoken. This word is powerful and effective. And it is ultimately what a sufferer needs to hear. But that word, we're reminded from Proverbs, needs to be spoken at the right time. And so sometimes it's just good to be with someone. It's good to share in their suffering, to weep with those who weep. But ultimately, we do need to speak that word. We do need God's word. Um, I I was thinking of Paul when he was on the beach with the Ephesian elders. And he was, I think, crying. They were in tears because he was leaving. And the tears themselves, their relationship wasn't ultimately what, what Paul knew would see them through to the end. It was important, they cared about each other, but ultimately Paul said this to them. In his pain and in their pain, he said, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And so that's the word we're going to look at this morning. And so we're going to look at Romans chapter 8, verse 17 to 25. I'm thankful for Aaron's wisdom in selecting this text. um, So I didn't have to do any work there. Romans chapter 8, verses 17 to 25. So as you turn there, sorry, we're going to look at 18 to 25. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility... As we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. The redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. Who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So again, I'm addressing the question, how can God allow suffering and evil? And... I took comfort this week because I read in a uh, systematic theology book that I have for a class I'm taking next semester that minds as great as Augustine and St. Thomas Aquinas have not been able to put this question fully and completely to rest. This, This question, this reality, the problem of pain has been something that has persisted and perplexed the church for centuries. But thankfully, I'm here this morning to answer it for you. So, no. In 30 minutes... And one morning together, looking at one text, I know that we are not going to come to this, this satisfying, complete answer to our question. And so this morning, rather than attempt to answer the question and solve the problem, um, by God's grace, we're just going to do, looking at this text, we're going to put our pain in perspective. And I do think, ultimately, that's what Paul is doing in this text, He's putting the pain that the Roman Christians were going through in perspective. And so that's what I hope to do. I I think that his main point here is that our grief, Christians' grief, will be swallowed in glory, by glory. And that puts our pain in perspective. And there's several truths from this text that we're going to see that I think does just that. It puts pain in perspective. And so I want us to think about it this way. Uh, I'm not a huge art aficionado. I, I, as a kid, I went to the Nelson Atkins. I don't remember anything about it, except some really weird stuff, and some naked people, and all the things that teenage kids remember. But, you go to an art gallery, and you can imagine you see a painting. And, you know, in the Nelson Atkins, there's lots of paintings and sculptures. But sometimes, you just get absorbed in one. And maybe even you walk up very close to that painting. And really, all you can see is that one painting. And so I think pain can be like that in our lives. It's like that one painting that's consuming our entire vision. And what Paul does, and what I hope to do here through God's word, is to remind us that there's more than just this one picture. And so as you step back from that one painting, and you look out, you see more. And then as you turn around at a 360 degree angle, you'll see all these other works of art. And so I want us to keep that in mind as we look at these perspectives on pain. So first Romans eight eighteen begins with the word for. For I consider. So remember this is in the context of Romans and Romans chapter eight specifically, where Paul has been talking about the gifts, the gifts of union with Christ through the Spirit. He's talking about in Romans eight ten to eleven certain hope of being raised from the dead, just like Christ. Power to put sin to death. Guidance in taking on the character that all of God's children will put on the character of Christ guidance through his spirit in that ultimately until the day that they receive their inheritance as sons now this is amazing good news for God's people and yet he finishes that section in verse 17 and if children then heirs heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with Him. And so, we're reminded here, just one perspective on pain, which is pain is part of the Christian life. Pain is part of what it means to be a child of God. So, there's false teaching out there today, and it's been out there since Job, remember Job's friends, who in his suffering comfort him, this has got to be your fault, pain is your fault, suffering is your fault. In fact, if you're suffering... It has has to do with your faulty faith. And that is false teaching. We're reminded here that actually suffering with and like Christ is one of our greatest assurances that we are in Christ, not that we are not a genuine, true Christian. Paul reminds the, the Roman Christians if you're suffering like him, it's because you are his children, and that's what his children will go through is suffering. Pain is part of the Christian life. Uh, Paul said it, Peter did too. Peter said, if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And Paul said the same thing. It's been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Um. I was tipped off to this point by Martin Lloyd Jones, who concisely summarized this whole idea with this picture. He said that all of Christ's sheep are branded with a cross, not only in the fleece, but also in the flesh. So all of Christ's sheep are branded with a cross. So I just want us to think this morning as we consider the pain, the problem of pain, and perspectives on pain, our question shouldn't be, why am I suffering? Well, the better question that we should be asking ourselves if you are a Christian is if the world hated God, persecuted His Son, hates Him, and you are in Christ, we should expect suffering to come. And if we receive no pushback from the world around us who is hostile to God, are we truly walking faithfully with Him, in Him, and like Him? I also want to encourage you that if you are suffering like Christ has, Just be encouraged. That's part of the Christian life. So pain is part of the Christian life, but it is not the whole part. So remember this picture I'm I'm thinking of. It's easy to get consumed by that one picture. But we need to remember, this art gallery is filled with other paintings. And so pain definitely is part of the Christian life, but it is not the whole part. It's not everything. And that's what Paul wants them to do. He wants to put the pain in perspective. And so in the next eight verses or so, Particularly verse 18, he wants them to know their pain is a pittance compared to their future glory. And then he points them to that glory. He explains what that glory is. So, I've already read it, I'll just read it kind of verse by verse. In verse 18, Paul starts by saying, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us, or to us. So, I consider... So remember who's talking, Paul, the Apostle Paul. It's encouraging to remember, Paul isn't like some kid who's talking about battles far off, and he's never been there, a child playing soldier. Paul is like a seasoned veteran who's been in battle. He knows what he's talking about. Paul knows what pain is like. This this list I'm going to kind of summarize from 2 Corinthians, chapter 11. Paul knew hunger, thirst, exposure, sickness, beatings and physical pain, pressure, danger from all sides, loneliness and betrayal, imprisonment, overwhelming concern for others' welfare, sickness, sadness. These are just a few that you pick up from that chapter. Paul knows great physical, emotional, spiritual pain. And yet Paul here is able to say this. And he says it with apostolic authority. And so again, he says, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. So in other words, Paul is saying, your present pain, Christian, your present pain is a pittance compared to your future glory. And So you might not know what that word is. Um, I learned it from a Pizza Hut commercial when I was a kid. So, sorry Jared. Bye, Marcos. Marcos is better. But, so... It was a Pizza Hut commercial where a kid comes into the the restaurant and he's got a little bit of money and he puts it on the counter and for this small amount of money, there's this big stack of pizzas that he gets and the little kid exclaims, a pittance for pizza piled so high. So, a pittance is a small amount. Uh, Another translation of pittance is peanuts, chump change, it's small, it's insignificant. Uh, another example of this, VBS last week, uh, had the, or it was two weeks ago maybe, but I had the chance to do the preschool Bible lessons and I remember for the Acts chapter 2 lesson, we're trying to illustrate the generosity of the early church. So I brought in some dimes, I had a pocket full of dimes, I gave it to one kid and had them share it and pass it out. Some kids were definitely tempted to keep it, not pass them out, but the point was the early church generously shared their wealth. Now at the end of the second lesson, one of the kids said, can I keep all the dimes? And I've shared before, I'm I'm kind of a penny pincher, but there's a limit to my penny pinching. So, I thought to myself, very quick comparison, nine dimes for this kid to keep, and hopefully not ruin the lesson he just heard. In fact, build biblical truth into their life. Compared to the... Okay, I'm not rich. Don't take our money. We got $10,000 in savings at least. $10,000 is 100,000 dimes, right? 10, I think. So, that's a lot of dimes. Basically, I said, nine dimes is what I had compared to what I have in savings for what it might accomplish in this kid's life. This is insignificant. This does not matter. Keep the dimes. So, walks away with the dimes. Those dimes were a pittance. They didn't matter. They were not worth comparing... To all else that I had. So, this, first of all, this might feel a little bit trite when you think about it. I'm just imagining if Tom was here right now, or many of you whose pain I know is real, and you're saying, How can you compare my present pain, maybe it's even a long term pain, to peanuts? You say it's a pittance, you say it's small, but this pain is real, it really hurts. And so I want to tell you that, one, I speak not as someone who has some sort of special insight into suffering, not as some sort of mystic. I don't speak as one who has great authority because I've suffered the most, and therefore I have something to tell everyone else. I speak as one, just like all of you, who must take God's Word by faith. And so I tell you, in faith, this is what God's Word says. Christian, our present suffering is not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. And so Paul doesn't leave it there. He goes into detail then describing what this glory is. And this glory is so great. It swallows our grief up, just like if you dropped uh, a one drop through an eyedropper into the ocean. So we should be asking, what is this glory? You know, what is this glory that makes our real present pain so insignificant, so not worth comparing to? And so in verses 19 to 25, Paul is building up to a climax in describing this glory. Um, I haven't done this, but some of you, maybe if you're watching the new Star Wars, you watch all of the Star Wars in the past to kind of build up to this new one. Paul is building up to this great glory. And he does it with at least two things. In verses 19 to 21... He's describing creation, all of creation, personified, waiting for this glory to be revealed. And then in verses 22 to 25, he's describing Christ's church, all in whom God's spirit dwells, waiting, waiting excitedly for this hope. So we'll look at those two. First, creation, verse 19 to 25, waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Um... One, J.B. Phillips, in his translation, translates it as standing on tiptoe. You can almost sense the, the eager expectation. His creation is standing on tiptoe, waiting. And waiting for what? Waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. Why? And actually, in verses 19 to 21, Paul is not speaking about the church. He's speaking about all of the created beings, all of the world, all the created universe. In verses 21 to 23, he picks up his description of the, the people who he's actually describing, the church. So why is creation so excited about this, the revealing of the sons of God? Well, verse 20 starts with four. It's because creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope in hope that the creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So currently, right now, all of creation is in bondage. It's in slavery to, depending on what translation you have, um, decay, corruption. One um, commentator states it like this, slavery entails corruption, decay, and death which pervade the natural world. This is what mars and describes the broken world that we live in. But and creation was subjected to this futility, not by its own choice. We'll see later, it was because of Adam's choice. It was because of what happened in the garden when Adam and Eve disobeyed God. As a result, all of creation marred now in slavery to corruption, decay and death. And yet, it was subjected in hope. Subjected in hope that one day, and that's what excited for. Creation is excited for what? For the one day that creation will be set free from bondage and death and decay. And that day will occur when God's children are revealed. So it's not only creation, though, waiting for this glory. It's all of Christ's church. So he says, then, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. So all of God's people, that's who's being described here, people in whom his spirit dwells, groan inwardly as they wait eagerly for glory. And it's that spirit that's actually causing them to groan. Why? Because they are not yet, they're adopted, but that adoption is not yet complete. They have been purchased. They have put their faith and trust in Christ. And yet, we all know this world is not as it should be. We all know that we ourselves are not as we should be. Even if Christ's spirit dwells in you. And that spirit then makes you groan, long, eagerly await for the hope that is yours in Christ. So, what exactly is Paul talking about here? When he's talking about our adoption to sons or our redemption, the redemption of our bodies. I think ultimately, it's the doctrine of glorification, which uh, bookends Paul's entire speech here, or his section. He says in verse 17, he says, that we may be glorified with him. Then he goes into this excursus on pain and finishes at the very end, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. He's talking about their glorification. So at the heart of sonship, at the heart of the redemption of our bodies and glorification is one key concept. And that key concept is conformity to the image of Jesus Christ. So our bodies right now, just like creation, they experience corruption, decay, death. All because of Adam's choice to disobey God. But when redemption is accomplished, when it's finished when we are fully adopted, when we're with God in his kingdom eternally, when we're glorified, all in Christ will be made like Christ. So right now we feel corruption in our souls. You feel it morally. We, We just took time this morning to repent, to confess to God, we have not lived like Christ this week. I have not lived like Christ this week. We've been impatient, unloving, selfish, angry, lustful. Greedy, all of these things might describe one of us. We feel moral corruption, even those with God's Spirit in them. We feel physical corruption. We pray for those who are sick, those who are going through real, difficult, painful sicknesses. We feel spiritual corruption. By God's grace, it is so good to be with God's people. To hear from God's word. And you, you've probably experienced sweet times of fellowship and communion with God. But we all know it's not as it should be. It's not perfect, eternal, constant communion. We feel this separation. We feel the brokenness. But one day we'll be made like Christ. And all of those things will be no more. It will not always be. And so that's why this word hope, used six times in this passage, is so key. This is the hope that we have. It's crucial to Paul's whole point. As he describes the Christian's future, this is not just a possibility. He talks about this hope. It's not a possible thing. He's talking about the certain future of Christians. Jesus didn't cry out on the cross, it's now possible for my people. He said, it is finished. So they're simply waiting eagerly for what will certainly take place. So what exactly is that? I want to take a moment to look at it. So I, I can think of nothing more glorious in every way, spiritually, morally, and physically, to be made like the sun. Christ Jesus, wholly and perfectly conformed to His image. Pain is a pittance compared to that. Pain is a pittance compared to that glorious hope, being like Him physically, spiritually, and morally. And it's in this hope, this is the hope in which we are saved, not something else. This is what we are eagerly waiting for as those in whom Christ's Spirit dwells. This is what we long for, this ought to give a, second pers- a third perspective I didn't include, which is pain purifies our faith. Paul said it is in this hope that we are saved. The hope of being like Christ and with Christ in a perfectly renewed kingdom forever with God. Uh, this is mentioned elsewhere in the New Testament. Paul said it in Philippians. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So pain is part of the Christian life. Pain is a pittance compared to our future glory, all those in Christ. And yet that's not the only perspective. Pain is also purifying to our faith. And we're going to see part of that. Now, pain has a purpose. It's it's really discouraging, I think, if you're going through a very difficult trial, to think that this pain that I'm going through has absolutely no purpose. I am just going through this difficult time and it's meaningless. It's accomplishing nothing. All I have to do is sit here in this difficulty and suffer. Now, this puts our pain in perspective. There is a glorious future hope at the end of the pain. And yet, there's more to it. It would be... Basically, pain has a purpose. This text, verses 24 to 25, and I think especially Romans 28 and 29, point us to the reality that this pain has a purpose. So Paul hints at it in 24 to 25, and then he fleshes it out fully in 28 and 29. So in verses 24 to 25, Now hope that is seen is not hope. Who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. What do you call a child or a kid who gets everything they want whenever they want it? A spoiled brat, right? This is not a joke, it's not a riddle, it's just kind of a reality. I think thousands of years of child-rearing will testify to this truth. If you give a child everything they want, whenever they want it, you know what they never learn? Patience. In fact, a person, not just a child, who's never had to wait for anything, never had to work for anything, doesn't understand, doesn't have the ability to develop patience. Paul said, you hope for what you do not have, so you wait for it with patience. So, I want to take us... I want. I want to show you a little bit of of lot I think the logic of what's happening here to show you that pain has a purpose. So a brief study of Scripture shows us that patience is a character of God. God is patient. You could go as as briefly to Romans chapter two, I think it's verse four or five. Do you presume upon the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. God is patient. He's forbearing. He's kind. God is patient. So, God is patient. And now, if you look at Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 4, Paul said earlier in the book of Romans, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces perseverance. We rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces endurance. So, suffering produces endurance. Endurance is a related word to patience. In fact, you'll see it throughout scripture, the phrase patient endurance. Suffering produces patience. God is patient. Suffering is not pointless. Suffering is actually making us like God. Suffering is producing godliness in you. So, pain has a purpose. It's making us more like God. So that's encouraging because it is very discouraging to think my pain has no purpose. This is accomplishing nothing. It's meaningless. No, pain has a purpose. And if you want it even clearer, just go to Romans, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16, 17, 18. This is a parallel passage where Paul is stating basically the same truth to the Corinthians. But he says it a little differently. He says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And the NIV says, This light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. Pain has a purpose. And then finally, you want to see the purpose not only that pain has a purpose, but what that purpose is more clearly in this section is Romans eight twenty eight and 29. It ties the whole passage together. Paul said, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. So God's working, or for God's people, He's working all things, which includes present suffering, which includes cancer, leukemia, betrayals, sickness, suffering, persecution, all of these things. He's working all of those things for what? He's working those things for good. And what is that good? Just go on to the next verse. The good is for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. So the good is the glory of Christlikeness, being made like Christ. Conformity to the image of Jesus. Pain has a purpose. Pain is a pittance compared to our future glory in Christ, and pain is part of the Christian life. And so I want to finish. I haven't really fully addressed I don't know how to say it. Basically, these have definitely attacked intellectual attacks on God. For people who are intellectually struggling, how can God create a world in which there is suffering, pain and evil? How could he do it? I think I've predominantly been looking at it at the heart. Now, definitely, this has been intellectual as well. But I think maybe one of the, to me, one of the greatest attacks on that intellectual problem, as you or someone you know is struggling, I don't really, I can't understand how God could create a world with suffering and pain. Uh, There's one final brief point, which is that pain has a partner. So I want to close with this because I think it attacks that intellectual difficulty. In verse 17, we read that these great things, this glorious future hope is ours in Christ provided we suffer with Him in order that we may be glorified with Him. So the hymn in verse 17 is Jesus, right? The hymn is Jesus, the second member of the triune God. God suffered this is all not new right god suffered so as you consider this the problem of evil the problem of pain remember this that the god who designed the universe who created all things and could have suffered the least remember god could have created this world however he wanted it and he chose to create it this way the god who designed the entire universe and could have, should have, suffered the least, suffered the most, so that those who least deserved it could enjoy eternal life with Him by faith in Christ. So, no amount of suffering that you or I go through will ever compare to what Christ endured on the cross for His people. Bearing the wrath of God. So just remember these perspectives. Remember, it's, it's tempting in pain to just let that picture consume your life, to stand right up in front of it and think about only that one picture. But in your pain, step back from that picture and look around and remember there's many more and turn around. And I think what Paul encourages us to do is to remember eternity, particularly to look at God's Word in all that we have in the gospel, all that we have, all the hope that is ours in Christ, and let that per perspective on the real pain you're going through. So, just to to review them, pain is part of the Christian life. Pain is a pittance compared to the future glory that is ours in Christ. Pain purifies our faith. We looked at that. Pain has a purpose. And ultimately, pain has a partner, You have a partner in your pain, and that is Christ. Let's look to Him in prayer. Father, we thank You. As we said earlier, as I said earlier, there is none like You. A God who needs no counsel. A God who is powerful and almighty, omniscient, who's created all things, who's good, and yet a God who suffers for his enemies. We praise you. God, you are good. Far better than we deserve. Lord, I pray for us. I pray particularly for brothers and sisters in this room who are going through painful times, as we've already prayed this morning, that you would, by your grace and through your word, help us to put pain in perspective, to remember all that is ours in Christ. Pray that you'd do that even right now for those who are suffering. And Lord, I pray for those who are not yet in Christ. There could be no greater glory than being with you and like you forever. Lord, I pray that you'd open our eyes through your spirit to that great future hope that we've just briefly touched on this morning. Lord, give us a longing Help us to eagerly wait that day. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your people that we can gather with together today. Lord, accomplish your purposes in us through it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.